Hello, welcome back to Jumble episode 40. Today we got another list. We're going to go to the NBA. I think what we're going to do, or at least my plan, is to bounce from some of the NBA to some of the NFL list. As it seems, not it seems, as it is, the NFL is going to take a little bit longer because there's more positions as opposed to there being five positions in basketball with the NFL. We have the quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, corner, safety, linebacker. I think I got them all, but there should be about two more. So maybe we'll do one of those back-to-back. And then other than that one time, we'll do probably an NFL back-to-back. I, the plan is I'm going to go NBA, NFL, NBA, NFL. So that being said, today I've rated the top 15 instead of 16 with the NFL point guards. Reason being as I've been doing half the league, so half the league for NBA is 15 instead of 16. However, I do have an honorable mention. Um, I did a little segment while we were at the beach on this guy. Super, super hard to rank. His numbers are really good, but I just, it's so hard to rate him as a point guard. I would not have as hard a time rating him as an NBA player. I feel like I have a good idea for where I'd like him to go, but coming in at the honorable mention for this list, 14.3 points a game. 7.2 rebounds and 6.9 assists. We have Ben Simmons. You know, great basketball player. I love his defense. Very versatile player. I don't like him as a point guard. That's all it is. It's nothing personal. I like a point guard who can shoot the ball. I like a point guard that can hit his free throws. That's not Ben Simmons. So, I really don't want to rate him just because I feel like I may slight him. Which, putting him in an honorable mention may be doing the same thing. However, it's the best I got for him other than just not mentioning his name at all. I just wish that whatever team has him, whether it be Philly or wherever he gets traded, probably. I'd like to see him rent at the four. So that's why he's going to finish with the spot that he does today, just because of his play style. It's not a point guard to me. He's a power forward, or what some people call a point forward, which I'm okay with that. But when I'm talking about point guards, I want to talk about guys who can pass, handle the ball, and consistently hit shots. And, you know, the majority of the guys on this list are pretty successful at that. I could say there's one guy on here who has a narrative that he struggles to shoot the ball, but it's a lot better than Ben Simmons. So, all that being said, honorable mentions out of the way, let's jump right into number 15, where I have one of my favorite all-time players in Kimba Walker. Uh, This season in particular, he averaged 19.3 points a game, 4 rebounds, and 4.9 assists. If you've been a fan of the NBA for a while, You'll know this man is from Charlotte. Not from Charlotte, but that's where he started his NBA career. He's from New York. But had a great stint in Charlotte. All-time points leader there. All-time three-point leader. I feel like he's probably up there in assist. I'm not really sure if he's first or not. I could find out, but it's not really all that interesting um, talking about where he ranks today as a New York Knick. It's been an interesting offseason season 
for Kimba, and if you're a Kimba Walker fan, you know, got traded to the Thunder. The Thunder bought him out, and now he's a Nick. I really like this for Kimba. I think he's in a great position to succeed. He's on a team with, you know, a little bit of young talent like Emmanuel Quickly probably running that two, R.J. Barrett probably running that three. And then, you know, not that these guys are old. Actually, Mitchell Robinson may be younger than both of the five, but you have a little bit of a veteran, somewhat anyway, still a younger veteran, but Julius Randle at the four having the most improved player award last season coming off a great year. And I just feel like he fits this team well. He brings in a lot of that veteran leadership. He's a guy that, you know, it, it seemed like in the playoffs the struggle the Knicks had was when they just needed to go get a bucket. Like, not a design play, not a specific three-pointer. They just needed to give the ball to somebody and say, go score. That guy for them was Derrick Rose. And really in the playoffs, D. Rose did a great job of that and embraced that role. And as a D. Rose fan, not saying I am, but if you are a D. Rose fan, you have to be happy with that. He did great, but he just he gasses out a little quicker than you'd like him to, and his shot's not as good as you'd want it to be for a guy that can just go get a bucket. You know, when you're defending D-Rose, and it's not easy, but it's a little, it's made a little easier despite his quick step, knowing that he wants to take that quick step. He probably wants to take a mid-range. He probably wants to take you to the rim. As opposed to Kimba, he may want to step back. He may want to get to the rim and make a play for somebody else. I feel like he's just more of a go-get-a-bucket guy, especially at this point in his career. And that attitude or play style fits this team really well. That being said, Kimball Walker will take the very first spot or the 15th spot, depending upon how you want to look at it on this list. Next, we'll be moving on to a guy that just re-signed the other day, Mike Conley, averaging 16.2 points a game, 3.5 rebounds, and 6 assists. The Jazz just seem to play much better when this guy's on the court, and he's really somewhat of a similar player to Kimba. Very undersized. He's six one. Kimba's six feet. Just sh- he shoots the ball really well. He doesn't create or have the dribble moves that Kimba might have. Um, what separates him apart from Kimba, in my opinion, is the defense. And I'm not saying that. You know, Conley is just this incredible defensive player that locks down point guards on a regular basis, but he does have an all-defensive team in his career, although it was a while back, which shows that he is competent defensively much more than Kimball Walker. If you watch, I remember watching a Celtics-Clippers game earlier in the year. It was a great game, but what the Clippers kept continuously trying to do was get just anybody to set a... Get Kimba's man to set a screen so that whoever had the ball, like Tatum or Brown or even Marcus Smart, or sorry, I got that totally mixed up. I'm saying his teammates, uh, like Kawhi or Paul George or Reggie Jackson even. They're trying to get those guys to be defended by Kimba because it just gives you an easy opportunity for a bucket. He's got a target on his back because, for one, he's undersized. And, you know, there's been a lot of undersized guys that have been great defenders throughout their career, while Kimba is not one of them. So he was an easy attack. You don't see this happen to Conley a lot. You won't see teams intentionally try to get his man to screen so that the offensive player can be guarded by Mike Conley because usually that's not an easy bucket. Now, is he going to get taken advantage of sometimes because he's 6'1"? Yeah. If you put him on Boban Marjanovic, who's 7'4", he's probably going to dunk it. And that it, that's just the way that it is. But for the most part, I don't feel like he's a defensive liability. And, I mean, it was, 
this guy had such a good year for them. It, it's really undervalued. He shot 41.2% from the three-point line, 44% from the just the field in general, and 85.2% from the free-throw line. Like, this is a point guard. Um, with the Jazz, a bit of a disappointing postseason. You'd like that to go a little better than it did. I'm personally unhappy with it. You know, I talked to you guys about a, a Donovan Mitchell rant there a while back about how much I was really starting to enjoy his game, and I really wanted to see that Donovan Mitchell versus Devin Booker series, and never got it, unfortunately, but maybe in the future. However, you know, just to speak about the Jazz, I think it was a really crucial move for them to bring him back. I feel like he compliments Donovan Mitchell very well. Unfortunately, that does make for a little bit of a smaller backcourt, but I don't think they're a huge, ah, the word just left my mind, liability on the defensive end. I think they'll be fine. And then Rudy Gobert, Gobert, whatever, got him down at the center. It... It's kind of somebody I want him to get rid of because while we're not talking about him, I'll just put this out there anyways. While he continues to win these defensive player of the years, for one, I will say there's much more to defense than defending the rim, which is really all he does. We've seen him get switched on to Steph Curry in multiple postseasons, not this one, but prior, and he usually just gets toasted. But whenever it gets to the playoffs, it seems like teams just go at Rudy. And I really don't understand it because it doesn't work in the regular season, but for the playoffs, for some reason, like this playoffs, a the huge part of their struggles were centered around the fact that Rudy Gobert was getting toasted by even other bigs, not just guards. But I, I really don't know what the Jazz need to do. I don't know who would fit them better than Gobert or where they would send him. But just as far as Conley, I think he's a great point guard, and I've got him clocking in at number 14 on the list. Now for number 13, I have Ja Morant. This guy averaged 19.1, 4 rebounds, and 7.4 assists. I've been really high on this guy since he came into the draft. I had said initially that this would be the player of that whole draft class, which he went second after Zion Williamson, if you've forgotten. I never really believed in Zion that much. I just keep waiting for that one time he dunks it and his knee just gives out and he's never the same again. Of course, I hope that doesn't happen because all that I can tell is Zion's a great guy and deserves all the success he's had to this point in his life, but I think John Morant is a better basketball player than Zion Williamson. Now, to this point, you could argue it either way. I think both of them have had very successful careers and done what you'd expect them to do in the NBA so far, but as far as just John Morant... The big drawback to this guy right now is his three-point ability, and I get it. He's shooting a little below league average and well below point guard average at 30.3%. I don't really have anything to say to defend him in that regard, but as far as the rest of his game, he seems like a great leader, always wanting to take the big shots, always in the huddle, talking to his teammates on the floor, talking to his teammates, orchestrates the offense really well, you know, which is shown in his numbers by the fact that he's averaging 7.4 assists a game, which is very good. 19.1 has been getting buckets since day one in the league, really. Very athletic, and while he's uh, he's a little below average shooting, it's not terrible. I mean, 
people are starting now to kind of respect De'Aaron Fox's jump shot, and he's only shooting 32.2% from the three-point line. So, you know, a lot of the times you'll see people back off him at the three-point line, but as soon as he makes one, they step up. Really, it just depends on what game it is for a guy like this. Some games he'll go 0 for 10, others he'll go 9 for 10. It just depends. It's all a confidence thing, and it's really streaky. You just you never know. But overall, I love this guy. I think he's going to eventually be a superstar. Um, kind of tickled myself there because Cade Cunningham into the league. I should I should have put Cade Cunningham as my honorable mention just because you guys know how I feel about him coming into the league. But I guess it's fair that I did it because he hasn't played yet. But very confident in what John Morant is going to do throughout his career. Almost as confident. Well, not almost as confident as Cade Cunningham because that's a little different. But... Very, very good player who I have a lot of faith in moving forward. Very young, too, which is it's cool to see. There's a couple young guys on here, and I really enjoy seeing the young talent kind of starting to take over the league, per se. It's it's interesting. But anywho's outside of that, at what number are we on here? This would be on 12? Yeah, this would be 12. Uh, I have Kyle Lowry. Last year, Kyle Lowry, Lowry, my fault, averaged 17.2 points a game, 5.4 rebounds, 7.3 assists. This is just a prototypical point guard, guys. He's nothing, I mean, he's a top 15 point guard, but he's nothing exponentially great, if you ask me. But he does what you want him to do. 39.6 from three, 87.5 from the line. Then he averages those 7.3 assists, so he distributes the ball well and 17.2 points a game, and, you know, for whatever reason, I watched a lot of Celtics games, maybe because Kimba, but I even remember watching Raptors games where they wanted to get the switch from Kyle Lowry while Kimba was guarding him, Uh, despite the fact that, yeah, he's actually the same height as Kimba. They're both six feet tall. Lowry is very strong. You You might not think it from looking at Kyle Lowry, but Actually, he is very, very strong. He's a well-built individual, and he has a very good post game. Like He will take you to the post and fade away and hit a shot. Just a really underrated player as a whole. The guy has proven that he, uh, you know, he's disappeared in the playoffs before, but he's, he's fine now, I guess, after that championship run. He looked great in that. I don't know that he's, you know, there's this debate about saying that Kyle Lowry is the greatest Raptor of all time, and I'm maybe I'm a little old school. I'd still like to say it's Vince Carter. I, I'm okay with it being DeMar DeRozan, I guess, but I, I don't really want to give it to Kyle Lowry. As much as he's done for the city, he's just never been this amazing athlete that people have looked up to, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but it seemed like DeMar hit that pinnacle. Vince definitely did. But outside of talking about just what he's done for Canadian sports, he is a great point guard. His shooting splits are very consistent. I love the consistency that he brings to a basketball team, and I think the Heat really have a lot of potential adding a type of player like this. I mean, they have Jimmy, who's going to be their superstar. They have Bam, who's not a superstar, but I guess you could call him a star. He's a very good player. Uh, you want Tyler Hero to maybe step up and do a little better. Duncan Robinson, who's, you know, he's getting his money to shoot the ball. Like, there is no speculation. He's paid to shoot. 
And then Kyle, just to be another veteran leader on this team, hit his shots, distribute the ball, and orchestrate an offense when they're in need. I love this move for the Heat, and I love Kyle Lowry's game. I think this is uh, maybe not the perfect spot for him because in years prior he would have been higher. But this is where I have him for now, and I'm going to put him at number 12. For number 11, we have a brand-new, fresh NBA champion, 17.7 points a game, 4.5 rebounds, 6.1 assists, 50% from the field, actually, which is very good, and then 39.2 from three. We had Drew Holiday. These numbers are actually better than I thought they were. Really, the reason I had Drew where I had him, because I did this like I did the NFL. I did it about 70% on just what I think and about 30% on what their actual numbers are. Um, This was largely attributed to the 70% of just whatever the heck I thought, wherever I wanted to put him, because I know his impact defensively is better than, quite frankly, everyone else on this list. I mean, Chris Paul used to be an amazing, amazing, amazing defender, and he's still competent. Like, he's not bad now by any means, but he's not the type of defensive player that he used to be so I would say Drew Holiday is the best defensive point guard on this entire list so honestly that's why he's here but you know I knew he was close to 40 percent three point wise so you get that 39.2 percent free throws not exactly what you'd want it to be with 78.7 which is honestly a little low for a point guard and then his points per game is about where you would think it would be, 17.7 assists the same way, 6.1. Overall, just a solid orchestrator of that offense, and the Bucs made a great move to bring this guy in, clearly. I think a big part of it also is that he fits the team chemistry so well, but that Bucs team is just so well-rounded defensively and offensively. I will mention before I forget him, as the Bucs front office did when they made their championship shirts and left Dante DiVincenzo off of them, He's a very, you know, competent member of that team as far as defensively and offensively. Dante DiVincenzo is not a above-average defender, but not a below-average defender. I feel like Dante DiVincenzo is the epitome of an average defender. And I would say he's a little bit above-average offensively. I like what he brings to the table. He's athletic and he can shoot the ball. But as far as the rest of the team, as you saw in the playoffs, Drew can score from the mid-range or take it inside. Chris Middleton can score from pretty much anywhere. Giannis, we all know where he wants to score and where he's most capable of scoring. But even while knowing that, it's still very hard to stop him because of how well-rounded this team is. You know, let's say you decide to double him. Okay, take Drew Holiday's man. Drew Holiday's more than capable of knocking down a three-point shot. All right, double him with Middleton's man. Middleton is more than capable of knocking down a three-point shot. Double him with P.J. Tucker. If P.J. Tucker is in the corner, he is very capable of knocking down a three-point shot. Otherwise, he is not. But for whatever reason, his percentage in the corner is significantly higher than anywhere else on the floor. Double him with Bobby Portis's man. Bobby Portis can hit the three-ball. Double him with Brooke Lopez's man. He can hit the three-ball. I think the Bucks finally figured out the recipe to winning with this team is get Giannis shooters. 90% of the time, one of the best things you can do for your NBA basketball team 
is get shooters. Regardless if you think you need them or not, having an extra shooter or two, having that J.J. Redick come off the bench to just knock down a clutch shot or that Duncan Robinson or that Danny Green, it really helps. <laughs> it's such an undervalued part of basketball. Being a shot maker, which you'd think everybody would be to be a professional basketball player, but there's there's really a difference between a shot maker and a good offensive player. It's it's a fine line, but J.J. Redick, I would not consider to be a great offensive player, but he's a shot maker, and he comes through when you need him most. I think we may be talking a little bit more about J.J. Redick in a couple episodes, and I won't say why, but I suspect that we will. But anywho's, we're not talk, here to talk about J.J., but Drew Holiday, just a very well-rounded player. The only grievance I have against this guy is his free throw percentage is not where I thought it would be, but other than that... The guy shoots the three ball well, he distributes the ball well, he scores well, and he will lock down your point guard. So I've got Drew Holiday clocking in at number 11. Cracking into the top 10, I have a guy that unfortunately suffered a very severe injury this year and missed some time, or maybe he would be higher. I honestly think I put him where I would have him regardless, but you know there is always that possibility with more time that your numbers could be better or worse for that matter. But I've got Jamal Murray clocking in at the start of the top 10. I've got him averaging 21.2 a game, 4 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 40.8% from 3, and 86.9 from the line. Overall, really good numbers. The only, you know, as far as looking at his numbers anyway, I... Okay, so here's the thing. He's averaging 4.8 assists, which when you look across the rest of this list, 5.9, is a little bit below where you might want an elite point guard to be. Here's the thing. 95% of the time, on 95% of NBA teams, your point guard is designed to be your playmaker. Now, there are rare scenarios. Rare scenario one that I can think of, because I'm only thinking of two in all honesty. Rare scenario one, you have LeBron James on your team. He's your playmaker, regardless if you want him running. But point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. LeBron is your playmaker. It's his number one skill, despite what you may think. That's LeBron's number one asset to his game is his playmaking ability. Rare scenario number two, Nikola Jokic. He is one of the only centers I've ever seen in my lifetime to be able to pass the ball and distribute and orchestrate an offense the way that he does. So, of course, Jamal Murray's numbers are going to take a hit because they don't really run their offense through Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's expectations are not to create opportunities for other players. His expectation is to score when Jokic creates an opportunity for him, and given the role that he is in, I feel like he excels at it. The reason they didn't do as well in the playoffs, in my opinion, is because they were missing this guy. If they weren't, maybe that first-round series goes a little longer. I can't remember if they got swept or if they won one. Or Honestly, it's just been so long that I'm forgetting, but I am almost positive that they got first-rounded. It may have even been by Utah, a rematch from a couple years back. I'll tell you what, I'll look it up. But just to speak on Jamal Murray... This guy is still really young, has a lot of potential to get even better, as far, especially as far as his playmaking ability, which, again, it's not bad. He's just not put in the position to playmake as much as a lot of other people are. 
And what? This does not seem correct. Okay, it is. So I don't know what playoffs I was watching, but <laughs> they did win in the first round. They beat Portland 4-2. to two. I guess where I was thinking they got swept or first rounded was they got 4-0'd by Phoenix. So I was incorrect as far as first rounded. They did make it out of the first round, but as far as the second round matchup goes, I think with Jamal Murray, they probably still lose. I don't think they beat Phoenix. However, I'd say it's another 4-2. I think they lose 4-2. I think Jamal Murray could contribute to winning them two games. Last year we saw him have a couple 50-point games and some really intense games with him and Donovan Mitchell just going back and forth. Man, the bubble brought us such good basketball, but guy's a phenomenal player. I hope that we can see him stay healthy and stay out of controversy, controversy and, you know, I really don't expect his assist numbers to pick up. As long as he's playing with Jokic, I think 4.8 is just fine. I mean, Jokic is going to do that. He He's not expected to. As long as he keeps knocking down his shot, shooting 40% from three, I'd like to see him get a little close, closer to 90 as far as the three-point – or, sorry, free-throw percentage, but I'm not going to gripe about 86.9. That's fine. So we're going to put Jamal Murray at the start of the top 10 of the list of point guards. Our first single-digit player cracking at number nine – I really feel like this guy's more of a shooting guard, but because of the team he plays on, I think he's just forced to play point guard because they want Lou Dort to run that too, and they really don't have another point guard because the roster is so bad. They're waiting for middle scores to make it to the NBA draft before this team's ever going to be any good again. But we have Shea Gildress Alexander, who averaged 23.7 points a game, 4.7 rebounds, 5.9 assists, Shot 50% from the field, shot 41.8% from three, which is amazing, and 80.8% from the free throw line, which, you know, isn't where you want it to be exactly. But he's a 6'6 guard. This is a big dude running point guard, which is just another reason that I kind of feel like he's more of a shooting guard player. Major bucket getter, but he also can create plays. We see him averaging, we're just going to say six assists a game because it's 5.9. You can worry about that point one if you want to, but... Overall, just a solid player. You know, the Thunder, while despite having a horrible, atrocious record, during the course of the season, they gave a lot of teams a run for their money in games that they had no business winning, and they would either win or make it close. The thing with the Thunder is, if you come into Oklahoma City and you have the mentality of, we got to play this like a normal game, we can't just discount these guys because the record's not good, and play your normal game, you're probably going to smash them. But if you come into OKC thinking, wow, they suck, OKC will come out and play hard and smack you in the mouth. Shea Gildress will have 30. Lou Dort's going to hold your best player to five. And they they just had a lot of games where they rolled this season and played off momentum. And even Lou Dort improved his shooting drastically and showed that he actually can shoot the ball on certain occasions. But Shea Gildress, uh, actually drafted by the Hornets, Shamefully, I was in favor of trading him on draft night as they did. I see now that that was a horrendous mistake, <laughs> but I, I really love his game. His shot looks so much more fluid than it did his rookie year. It always looked like he had a, just nothing crazy, but a small hitch in his shot his rookie year. It just looked like he hesitated most of the time he went to shoot. Now he's shooting with these and shooting 41.8% from three, which is amazing averaging about the amount of assists you want him to, very close to five rebounds at 6'6", at point guard. I love that. And right at 24 points a game, this guy's giving you the production 
that I'd love to see at 23 years old. Uh, still a young guy under 25 years old, which seems to be the number for young players. It seems like if you're under 25, you're a young player. When you turn 26, you're not anymore. But I love this guy's game. I think he's going to continue to improve even past the age of 25. And think, I mean, a, a, a lot of people want to knock this guy because he's shooting. And I understand that his free throw percentage isn't where you want it to be. But 50% from the field, 41.8 from the three-point. If he continues to improve his shot, I mean, gosh, this guy's never going to miss. So I've got Shea clocking in at number nine. Love everything about this guy's game. I really have no complaints. At number nine, really, it, it's tough. The reason I have De'Aaron Fox here, because I actually feel like Shea Gildress-Alexander is a better basketball player than De'Aaron Fox. But the reason I have De'Aaron above him is because I feel like De'Aaron's a better point guard. As I said, I feel that Shea Gildress is a two. De'Aaron Fox is a point guard, undoubtedly. So that's why when rating point guards, I have De'Aaron Fox above him. Now, this is going off uh, basketball reference positions, by the way, which is why Shea is where he is. That's what this is going off of. Uh, but De'Aaron, anywho's averaged 25.2 points a game, 3.5 rebounds, 7.2 assists, 47.7 field goal percentage, 32.2 from three, 71.9 from the free throw line. De'Aaron's one of my favorite up-and-coming point guards. I'll sing his praises before I criticize him or critique him anyway a little bit. Very explosive. In my opinion, the second fastest player in the league behind Russ. Improved playmaking from his first couple of years, up to 7.2 assists. Just continues to get better in that regard. Continues to improve on his shooting and, in my opinion, leading. I love this guy's passion for the game of basketball. I've talked about before when they lost to UNC in the Final Four, him and Bam Adebayo crying in the back of the locker room, which is a reason that I like this guy because you can tell that he genuinely just cares about the game of basketball. Any interview of his I've ever seen seems like a phenomenal person. And he's a great basketball player who's very entertaining to watch run a fast break, which is my favorite part of basketball, watching teams run a fast break. Um, as far as my grievances of his game I would say it's pretty obvious the 71.9 from the line is atrocious and the 32.2 from three is not great sadly the 32.2 is actually improved he's improved his three-point shot um you want to see that go up for your point guard I want my point guard to knock down his shots a little more consistently and especially his free throws However, still love the guy. I love his game. I, I like his fit with the team that Sacramento has, but I do feel, and I, as I mean, it's pretty obvious, all things considered, they need to improve. <laughs> they, I think it's a 15-year playoff drought, if I'm not mistaken. So they, I think Luke Walton's the problem right now. You know, obviously Marvin Bagley has underperformed, stayed hurt. I really like Buddy Heald on that team, but as far as De'Aaron Fox, I think they got the guy that they want to lead the team, be their superstar, and I don't see any world where this guy does not continue to improve. I think he is going to continue to improve and be a phenomenal player in the NBA. I just I love this guy's game, love him as a person, and I'm excited to see what he can do in the coming years. I feel like he's just going to fit that Russell Westbrook stereotype, if he doesn't already. I mean, he already has the speed and athleticism. He's just not as good of a rebounding point guard. And he hasn't carried a team to a winning season quite yet. It just occurred to me that the last guy I actually said was number nine. He was number eight. So that's my bad. 
first of all, De'Aaron Fox will be number eight. So the next guy is number seven. I will say number seven and number six is where I had the hardest time. <laughs> um, so I actually had the guy that I'm about to tell you at number seven and number six and ended up changing them. So I'll explain to you why I changed them the way that I did and why they ended up where they are. So I kind of feel like seven may have his footing in the NBA a little more and be a better basketball player. This is Kyrie Irving. 26.9 points a game, 4.8 rebounds, 6 assists, 50% from the field, 40.2 from three, and 92.2 from the line. The reason I have Kyrie Irving here, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the next guy because I want to talk about why one's ahead of the other. Number six, I have Trey Young. Trey Young averaged 25.3 a game, 3.9 rebounds, 9.4 assists, 43.8 from the field, 34.3 from three, and 88.6 from the free throw line. His shooting percentages are way below Kyrie's, however, played more games. Points are a little below. Rebounds are a little below. Assists are about three and a half ahead. Kyrie Irving, when he's playing, is really, really good. Um, I really don't have anything bad to say about on the court Kyrie Irving. However, it seems like off the court Kyrie Irving has been an issue. Um, you know, even on the court Kyrie Irving, you know, the only complaint that I'd really give for him is he seems to take a wild shot here and there. But when you're a superstar, you've I feel like you've earned the right to do that. The reason that I put Trey Young above there's two reasons. One, his playmaking ability is superior to Kyrie Irving's, and I feel like I would just rather have Trey Young on my team. I feel like he fits the mold of a point guard better. He's just a playmaker and a scorer, and he's he's the epitome of a player who shoots better than what the percentages tell you. So that's the biggest reason i just rather have him on my team. I feel like he would fit that role better that I want. And two... Just what I, a lot of people like to refer to as recency bias, and that's honestly what it is. He just carried his team through the playoffs to the Eastern Conference Finals where I don't think anyone expected them to go that far. You know, when they beat the Knicks, I don't think it was a huge shock. I actually had them beating the Knicks because the Knicks don't have a superstar. They have Julius Randle, who's a phenomenal player. But not a superstar or a star like Trey Young. Whichever level you want to put him at is up to you. So that didn't shock me, but it absolutely shocked me when they beat Philly. Um, I did not see that coming. I thought Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and them guys would just kind of roll over the Hawks like it wasn't a problem. And that did not happen. So... That's why I have Trey Young there, and as far as Kyrie Irving, like I said, I really don't have any grievances um, of on-the-court Kyrie Irving. A wild shot once in a while you might complain about. Other than that, guy's awesome. He's really good, and probably the best ball handler the NBA's ever seen, so I'm not really going to knock him for much. has great ball security and just a phenomenal all-around guy, a phenomenal all-around player, donates a lot of money, and yeah, I, he's just fun to watch. I, I really miss him in Cleveland. It's been a little different watching him since he left. Overall, though, no complaints. Number seven for Kyrie, number six for Trey Young, and now to get into the top five. 
Starting at number five, one of my all-time favorite players. Love to watch this guy play. It's just a thing of beauty the way that he plays basketball. We have Russell Westbrook. And again, averaging a triple-double, 22.2, 11.5 rebounds, 11.7 assists. The field goal percentages is where you knock him, 43.9 from the field, 31.5 from three, and 66.6. Ooh, it pains me to say that from the line. Um, Overall, though, I'm not going to bash Russ. I'm not going to bash anyone in the top five because they are all top five point guards in the NBA. All of them do have flaws in their game, like, any basketball player does. You're just not going to catch me talking about him. So as far as Russ, I love the intensity that he plays with, it's that, which is why I love him so much. Just the ferociousness of his dunks, how fast he runs down the court, his intensity on defense, his passion just to win. Loves the game of basketball, like I talked about with De'Aaron Fox. He's just uh, amazing to watch this guy play. He's going to be missed. And, you know, in years down the road when this guy retires, he really will be missed. Right now he's one of the most hated NBA players for whatever reason. I don't know. Some people think he's a jerk. I just think he's passionate about winning, hates to lose, as any great athlete should. But, man, this guy's so fun to watch. And he, he really is a great teammate, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people will say that he, what's the word, prohibits other teammates from scoring. But Paul George had his number one scoring season with Russ. James Harden had his second highest scoring season with Russ. KD had his highest scoring season with Russ. You know, it, it, it's just a false narrative. You just you got to look into it a little bit. But I love this guy's game. He'll go down as one of my all-time favorites. And I've got him clocking in at number five. Number four, we have the point guard, Chris Paul, the first guy to dip below 20 points a game since number 10, I think. 16.4, four and a half rebounds, 8.9 assists, 47.9 from the field, 39.5 from three, and 93.4 from the free throw line. Let, let me just introduce you guys to Chris Paul, if you're new to watching basketball anyway. Now, if you've been a fan of the NBA for about a decade or so, you know. But let's say that you're not. Let's say you decided this NBA Finals... <laughs> Maybe game two, if you didn't watch game one, you decided, I'm going to be an NBA fan. Let's let's watch. And you watch games two through six. You probably think Chris Paul sucks. <laughs> and I understand why. Because he sucked in game two through six. But <laughs> Chris Paul has been the prototype of what a point guard should be for about a decade. This guy's went months, not months, but I think there was a month a while back that he went and had like 50-some assists and no turnovers for a whole month. This guy is just the epitome of what a point guard should be with his, you know, 93.4 from the three free throw line and then 39.5 from three and 49.5 from the field. There's this action they run, and I talked about it all playoffs long, and he hit it almost every game, even his bad games. Aiton or whoever will come set him a pick, uh, usually on the left side, at between like the free throw line and the three point line. So he'll take it to the left, cross back over to his right hand, and just hit this fadeaway mid range shot. I swear it seems like he never misses it. But Chris Paul, man, <laughs> one of the best playmakers I've ever seen, a consistent shot maker. 
and a great leader. You could argue that because of how his teams have done in the playoffs, but I'll never say that he's not a great leader. He's just been in some unfortunate situations and had some teammates that didn't care for his personality. Excuse me. But I love Chris Paul. Similar to Russ, one of my favorite players ever. And, man, he's just he's something else, really. Top three. Number three, averaging 27.7, 8 rebounds, and 8.6 assists, shooting 47.9% from the field, 35% from three, and 73% from the line. I got Luka Doncic. What is, it's this guy's third year, I think, third, maybe fourth. I'm almost positive third, averaging 27.7, 8 rebounds, and 8.6 assists. What in the world? Why? Who gave this guy the right to be this good already? Like, this is... What happened to developing young players in in the stars? He's already a star. How old is this kid? I mean, he's I I see what he's twenty two. This guy's twenty two, and he's already a top ten player in the NBA. I'll tell you right now, and this is just my opinion. Whenever you know a lot of these veterans are gone that we have right now, I think the two premier players in the NBA because like we had a couple years ago where you would say the two premier players because they kept meeting in the finals were LeBron and Steph Curry. I'd say in a little while, those two premier players, and it's just my opinion, are going to be Luka Doncic and Cade Cunningham. That's just me. That's what I think. And you could argue the Cade Cade Cunningham one, but with this guy averaging this at 22, it's pretty darn difficult to argue that Luka Doncic is going to be an absolute superstar for a long time. The thing that makes this guy's game so beautiful, and the word that I like to use in talking about Luka so sustainable is guys like, for example, John Wall, who's had a major fall off in the last couple of years. Any other year that he's been playing, he would have been in the top 10. Didn't even cut this list. Um, and I love John Wall, by the way. One of my favorite point guards to watch back in the day. Him and Russ were my two favorites just because I love that running gun style. But the reason that a player like John Wall isn't as sustainable is when he loses that quick first step, when you tear that ACL for the first time, when you lose that burst of speed, it's really hard to play the way you used to play because that's what you relied on. You relied on that jab step. You relied on people not being able to catch you. Luka Doncic is the most uh, – I mean, he can, he can dunk. I mean, but he's he's six seven. so, I mean, what whatever, you should dunk. He can dunk, but it looks like he even struggles to dunk. And But he's so unathletic. Oh, it kills me. It doesn't look like this kid has an athletic bone in his body. I mean, it really doesn't. And he's, he even seems slow. It seems like he's jogging half the time down the court. And even with his being unathletic, slow, 27-7, 27.78 and 8.6 a game. <laughs> so even when he loses that little bit of athleticism he has, even when he slows down a bit, which, by the way, won't be for at least another five years because most people's prime is 27, 28. So he's only going to get more athletic and faster for the next five years. And then after that, maybe he'll start to slow down. He's only getting better. And like I said, when he slows down, it's really not going to matter that much because the stuff that he does doesn't depend upon athleticism. It doesn't depend upon speed. He's phenomenal without it. This guy is going to be really, 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 really good for a very long time. And I would watch out for him if he's in your conference. So, or division, I guess would be the word. 
I'm thankful. I'm this is a player. I'm glad he's in the Western Conference, and I hope he stays there for a long time. But anywho's the top two point guards. Number two, the most clutch player in the entire league. Twenty eight point eight a game. Four point two rebounds, 7.5 assists, 45.1 from the field, 39.1 from three, 92.8 from the free throw line. Damian Lillard, I think two and one will be the two that I talk about least just because they need the least amount of explanation. Like, maybe you need to understand why I put Drew Holiday at, I think, 11 or 12, I think it was. And maybe you need me to explain why I have De'Aaron Fox above, who was it? Shea Gildress, maybe, I think, whatever. But you, I think everybody can understand why I believe Dame to be the second best point guard in the league. This guy, is there anything more scary than Damian and Lillard with the ball in the last two minutes of a close game? <laughs> I mean, I've watched a lot of horror movies, and I've seen some pretty scary stuff on TV. We live in a very scary day and time. But there are not many things that struck the fear into me more than seeing Damian Lillard dribble the ball at half court against my favorite team when they're down one with a minute 30 to go. I mean, it's just my immediate thought is, oh, well, we lost. <laughs> this guy doesn't miss in the last two minutes. There is no way. I don't remember the last time I saw him ever miss. I remember him seeing, I remember seeing him miss one time against the Nuggets in that playoff series. And Austin Rivers put his hands together, looked up into the hands, and says, thank God. This man has people praying to God that he misses shots. That's how good he is. He's got people praying mid-game instead of defending him. Please, God, let him miss. I've tried everything. I don't know what to do anymore. Just please make him miss. That's how good this guy is. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like this guy in the last two minutes of a game. And as good as he is, (laughs) number one, 32 points a game, 5.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists, 48.2 48.2 field goal percentage, 42.1 from three, 91.6 from the free throw line. Going into the season, we heard a lot of chirps. Yeah, it's been a while since we've seen Steph without a super team. Can Steph wheel this Warriors team to do this without Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson? What's Steph, what can Steph Curry do by himself? I think the season Steph Curry had this year was basically his way of saying, shut up, I can do it by myself. It's just... Just let me alone. Get on my back. This guy came in, averaged 32 a game. And this is the thing. He shot more this year than he has shot in a long time. He hasn't needed to shoot that much when they had Clay and KD. I mean, he still shot a substantial amount, but not nearly as much. He shot so much this year and still taking these great – oh, my gosh – shooting these crazy – I mean, I remember watching – there were so many Warriors – I tried to watch the Warriors every time they came on this year because this guy did something incredible literally every game. And I can't remember who I was watching him play, but he was on the left side of the court, maybe two steps past half court, stepped back with five seconds left in the shot clock. Like, oh, that's a bad shot. Drains it. Doesn't miss. <laughs> and my immediate thought, and I've said this before about watching this game, was – that's not fair. Like, being able to shoot this ball this well should be illegal. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop that. You know, if there's a guy that's going to shoot a step, maybe two steps past half court 98% of the time, just let him shoot it. He's a moron. Look how deep he's shooting. He's going to miss. If that man is Steph Curry, 
get a hand in his face. Probably still going to make it, but at least try to make it more difficult. This guy does not ever miss. It, I, I don't remember seeing it. It's just like, name in the last two minutes. It doesn't seem like he misses. Um, I mean, like I said, the biggest thing is he shot so much this year. So, so incredibly much. And yet, still, 42.1% from three. 32 points a game, five and a half rebounds, and almost six assists. Steph Curry is the best point guard in the NBA right now. He's a top three player. The top three right now is LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. There's They're saying Giannis. He's top five, but he's not top three. I don't really care what you think about that. But, damn, this guy's incredible. I, nothing bad you can say about Steph. Very underrated defensively, too, because people just say that he sucks defensively. And honestly, that's not true. There was one – I'm thinking he had one year where he made a defensive team, and I could be mistaken about that, but I remember one year he had a very good defensive year. I think it was that 2015-16 team that went 73-9 and lost in the championship. But anywho's guys, that's the top 15 point guards for you with one honorable mention. Hope you've enjoyed it. I don't know what we'll get out for Tuesday. It haven't, hasn't really been discussed or decided yet. I assume it Kendall will not be in it. Um, I haven't really talked to him about what I want to do or what he is able to do before he leaves. He actually is moving his stuff into his dorm to, today. Um, he's actually done. They're on their way back. They're coming back Saturday. Um, but he won't move. He, he goes back on like the 18th to move in officially. I really cannot remember which day it is, but it's it's that week of the 18th, whatever week that is. So, uh, you know, we're going to be transitioning to doing these episodes like this. The way I did this, because I get very dry mouth, is I've been cutting them off after just about every single NBA player and getting a drink and starting recording again for the next one. So, I'm going to listen to this back and see if you can tell that I stopped. Hopefully not. If so, I'll try to find some way around it. I really don't know how I'm going to do that, but I will give it my best attempt. But as far as that goes, I'm going to try to get Kendall to do hopefully one more episode. Uh, Keep it NFL-oriented. That's his strength or what he likes to do. So try to go out like that. Maybe receivers. That's one of his favorite positions, I do believe because almost all his favorite players that aren't Tom Brady play wide receivers. So that's probably how I try to close it off. Whether that be Tuesday's episode or not, I do not know yet. But anywho's, I appreciate you guys listening to this point. See you Tuesday. Thank you, and I'm out of here.